Hello and welcome to Where Nobody Knows Your Name, a Cheers podcast. Today we're doing something a little bit different and uh, we're going to be talking about someone which every Cheers fan will know their name. We're talking about Kirsty Alley. Yeah. Obviously, James, we record a lot of episodes in advance and we release episodes that we've recorded sometimes months in advance. And a month ago, the whole sort of Cheers community was shocked by the sudden passing of Kirsty Alley. And we thought it'd be remiss not to take the opportunity to pause and reflect on her life, what she did in Cheers, her legacy, but also everything else she's done in her life as well. Talking about her as a person and, and her early life as well, James. And I think this is what we're going to do this week. It's a it's a change of pace. It's a little bit different. But this week, we're going to raise a glass to Kirsty Alley and say cheers. Cheers, Kirsty. Today would have been her 72nd birthday, uh, 12th of January, 2022. And uh, going to dedicate this episode to her. And we're going to focus mainly on her film and TV work and her family and upbringing. And you know, it's it's more somber than our other episodes, but we hope that you'll like it. And we hope that uh, you can join us in, in reminiscing. When we started this podcast, we were always aware that like everyone in the world, that at some point the main actors of Cheers would no longer be with us. We only hoped that their time wouldn't come before we finished the show. And with Kirsty's passing, like any bereavement, the only thing we wished for was more time. We'll start at the beginning, John. That is the the uh, traditional way, is it not? It's it's a good place to start. It is a good place to start. Yes, as the song said, she was born in Wichita, in Kansas, to Bob and Lillian Alley. Uh, she had two siblings, Colette and Craig. She graduated Wichita Southeast High in 1969 and went to Kansas State University. She dropped out in her sophomore year to move to LA as an interior designer which I didn't know until researching this episode, but it is a nice connection with Norm, I think. Mm. Uh, she was married to her high school sweetheart, Bob Alley, which shared the last name by coincidence, from 1970 to 1977. In 1979, she appeared in two episodes of Match Game, winning $6,000. She also appeared on Password Plus in 1980. And that's her early life. A, a taste of fame from the start, I guess, you know? Yeah. You know, very young then in the early 70s. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, uh, moving from Kansas to the big, big city of L.A. In the 80s, the uh, the film roles started coming, didn't they, John? And I think her debut role is something that we were a fan of. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Exactly, yes, where she played uh, Lieutenant Savick. This went on to become a very popular role among Star Trek fans, uh, us included. She went on to have roles in One More Chance, Blind Date, Runaway, and was a regular in the spy show Masquerade. She was married to Parker Stevenson, known for the Hardy Boys and Baywatch, from 22nd of December 1983 to 1997. In 1985, she starred in the Civil War miniseries North and South and played Gloria Steinem in A Bunny's Tale. In 1987, she starred alongside Mark Harmon in Summer School, which earned over $35 million in the US. Later in 1987, she made her first appearance in Cheers and quickly became a household name. Now, obviously, uh, she achieved a lot in Cheers, both behind the scenes and in front of camera, went on to win awards because of it. I think it's useful we talk about some of the roles which came during and after Cheers, you know, because she's more than, more than just Rebecca. It's probably her most well-known role, for sure. But there's, uh, there was a lot of roles she's had since her debut. What do you think, John? Well, I think something really interesting kind of happens with her career where, you know, in, in sitcoms, the the character and the actor who plays them 
get almost interchangeable at a point where the character adopts so much personality from the act who portrays them. I think when you look at Kirstie Eye's career post-Cheers and, and during it, she plays herself for a love reality TV where she's able to portray herself how she wants to, if that makes sense. She, she's very much become, she's transcended the role of Rebecca to be a TV personality. That's very true. I can talk about the uh, slow progression of that, actually, mm. where she became known for being Kirstie Alley in a lot of her later work, really. Mm. But during Cheers, starred in Shoot to Kill, Look Who's Talking, which spawned $295 million worldwide and uh, gained two sequels in which she starred alongside John Travolta. In 1990, she starred in Madhouse and Sibling Rivalry. And during her marriage with Parker Stevenson, they adopted a son in October 1992 and a daughter in 1995, called True and Lily. They also owned the Mitchell Cottage, formerly the Aldsborough Inn in Maine, and Kirsty kept this until 2020. Uh, she won her second Emmy for the TV movie David's Mother. In 1995, she starred in Village of the Damned and It Takes Two. In 1995 also, she received her star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. It is located at 7000 Hollywood Boulevard. Of course, this is after Cheers has finished now. In 1997, she starred in Deconstructing Harry for Richer or Poorer and The Last Don. She was Emmy nominated for her role in uh, that miniseries, The Last Don, which is uh, based on a Mario Puzo novel. In 1990, she starred in Drop Dead Gorgeous. And from 1997 to 2000, was the main character in Veronica's Closet, earning more Emmy and Golden Globe nominations. Veronica's Closet, I think, was one of the first shows which transgressed that boundary between character and actor, would you think? Mm. In that she was sort of addressing the notion of sex symbolhood. And as a result, there were some elements of Veronica's Closet which were quite meta in that regard. Mm. And it's also something that she produced herself as well. So you, you see how she's getting more ownership over the shows that she's creating and the narratives that they're telling as well. Yeah, and the message she wants to uh, carry across. From 2000, she was a resident of Clearwater, Florida. And in 2005, she played a fictionalized version of herself in Fat Actress, which lasted one season. But it very much addressed the concept that older, more overweight women were often passed for roles in favor of younger, uh, more svelte women, I think is the. the phrase that Kirstie Alley used in describing the concept of said show. Of course, in 2013, she starred in Kirstie, the sitcom, which featured Rhea mm-hmm. Pillman. And 2016, she starred in the second season of Screen Queens, and she became a grandmother for the first time when her son had a child in 2016. Yes, definitely in the mid-2000s to even mid-2010s, there was a certain self-awareness of the character's she played and the reputation she had. Mm, and also trying to break that sort of stereotypical representation. Yes. And when you sort of look at, she obviously did Dancing with the Stars, uh, then Celebrity Big Brother as well, where she put herself out there a lot in terms of yes. her personality and what she re- represents as a person. And, you know, you don't take that stage lightly when you do go into reality TV because it's, you're putting, you know, your voice out there. You're no longer behind a script, you're no longer behind the sort of safety of a character. And she went on to do that and really play with that. I mean, she did the the mass singer afterwards, which 
I said, you're not behind this, <laughs> behind a, mm-hmm. a script or anything. You obviously are there, but enjoyed all the projects she was on. And I think yes. she was always playing with that element of it and always having fun with the, the sort of creative industries that she was in. Definitely, yeah. I think that's true of all her roles, particularly the more, the more comedic ones. I think things like David's mother, possibly not. But in all of the comedic roles, she was certainly willing to, people use this phrase a lot, but willing to have fun with the role. She was willing to humiliate herself in order for the the entertainment or the package that the uh, uh, the show was taking across. I think it's also that sort of understanding the legacy that she had as well. You know, Cheers obviously was from the 80s and 90s, but she continued to sort of guest feature in quite a lot of sitcoms into the 2000s as well, 2010s, appearing in the Goldbergs in the middle really as a in those sort of appearances really celebrating the history of sitcom history in america really i know the goldbergs one was a guest spot with john ratzenberger and george went as well i believe it was yeah and i think that awareness of the legacy that she had and what some of those guest spots meant to not only the audience but the creators on the shows as well yeah i think that's that's definitely true i think tina fey has gone on stating that uh, cheers was one of her largest inspirations as a writer you know you look at things like the good place where they deliberately wrote a bar scene to put ted danson behind the bar again and it's a very recognizable show and to have someone such as kirstie alley appear 40 years after 35 years after she first starred in Cheers, but being recognized for her work in it and for her continued work in the film and TV industry, I think speaks to the person. Mm-hmm. I think she carved out a name for herself very well and not without challenge, you know, coming in halfway through a show, which is already a popular show with an already iconic power couple, is a difficult task, you know, but she achieved it tenfold in terms of mm. overcoming that obstacle. Yeah, I mean, you talk about the challenges of coming into a show that's already five seasons deep and built a, a fan base from the ground up, really. And what she did, along with the writers, was reinvent the show, really, and give it six more seasons of good storytelling and writing and propelled the series into another decade, really. Very much so. And Rob Long, one of the uh, writers, wrote an article about Kirstie Alley, right? And he said Kirstie Alley had that rare ability to be comedic. He also called her beautiful in, in the article, but she was willing to appear ugly, right? In terms of when she was ugly crying or when she, in cheers, was putting herself through uh, embarrassing or untoward situations in order to make the audience laugh, you know? Mm-hmm. And Rob Long gives an example of a scene in which Rebecca has to climb into a garbage dumpster to mm. root around for something valuable, right? He, Rob Long, has said that it had all the elements of a perfect Kirsty scene. It was physical, it was humiliating, and it was a moment in which her character really needed something. Nobody could play frustrated desire like Kirsty Alley. The seasons we've discussed so far in Cheers... I think that summarizes them to a T. Mm. Kirstie Alley insisted of this scene. She didn't want to do it halfway and that she should be covered in garbage. Uh, Hair, (laughs) face, all of it. And if she comes out of there and her hair and makeup look okay, it won't be funny. If she was covered in gunk, it would be much funnier. 
And I think that's that's admirable, you know. I, mm. And Rob Long goes on, he addresses the fact that there is, and I don't, we're not the experts to talk about this, but there is a pressure on everyone in the media, really, but particularly women to look their best all the time. And Kirsty was willing to surpass that, you know. <laughs> certainly a breath of fresh air within the sort of sitcom scene at the time and and tv scene and you know another story was around uh the cigarette in the mouth and how that was really written in from her just being able to do it and it was i think you'd said on the podcast before james that the writers were kind of struggling with the character at the start and it was then the moments when kirstie alley brought her own flair to the character and said, well, I can do this and I can bring this to it. And I think she said that uh, her grandfather taught us how to hide the cigarette in a, a lit cigarette in her mouth when she was eight or something. <laughs> uh, was a party trick she used to do and bringing that into the role was a scene which played off this kind of idea of there's something about this character and it, that stems right through. There's a mischievous side. Yeah, and that stems right through from her personality. And without specifically casting Kirstie Alley to demonstrate the complex and uh, often conflicted uh, character of Rebecca Cheers, I don't think would have lasted as long as it had, nor had the legacy it now has. It needed someone with that ability and desire to have things which were slightly unexpected, slightly seedy, right? But certainly not becoming, right? It needed someone who was willing to sometimes, you know, take, take the slapstick bullet, you know? The slapstick bullet, I like that. I think it's another story which we've said on this show before, but it really kind of speaks to the change that was happening in Chis at the time, where, like you say, it needed someone who was going to roll their sleeves up and have a laugh. And the the show was in such a serious tone beforehand. And when Kirstie Alley joined, she came in dressed as Diane, essentially. Yeah. (laughs) And fully sort of bulldozed down the sort of first five years of the season and said, I'm here. And I'm not going to repeat the past kind of idea. Trailblazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she did bring an energy that vastly contrasted to, um, to earlier seasons. You know, we've, uh, you could see it in the awards speeches and things where they seemed more dignified as an ensemble cast when they had these award shows. When Christy Alley arrived, it was like, it's like the boys were back in town, wasn't it? You know, <laughs> they, were, they were a group of friends having a lot of fun. And we've seen photos from some of the parties they've had on the Cheers set. And you could tell that the second half of Cheers, this is when the photos are from, was a, a riot, you know. <laughs> and that's not to say that the you know original cast didn't get on, but things like Nicholas Calosanto and his waning health obviously had a detrimental effect to the uh, morale. I know, James, we've, we've sort of uh, looked back at, we're up to season eight, in our uh, podcast at the moment, but we've looked back at some of the, the highlighted moments through the season that Kirstie Alley has had so far. And we're quite lucky, James, because we get to see another three seasons still that we haven't sort of even watched yet. So there are a lot more laughs to come, but there's some key moments for you out of uh, the last seasons that we've been watching. Well, that is a good uh, good question. I, I know what some of my favourite episodes are. Kirstie Alley was nominated for an Emmy three times throughout Cheers, first two in 1988 and 1990, and she won her third in 1991. So we've yet to see her best performance. But out of the episodes we've watched so far, I've got 12 that stood out to me. We've got Home is the Sailor, the season six premiere, mm-hmm. uh, Yacht of Fools, 
season six, episode 16, episode 18 of the same season, uh, Let Sleeping Jake's Lie, mm-hmm. episode 24 of season six, The Big Kiss Off. Then into season seven, we've got episode 11, Adventures in House Sitting, episode 15, Don't Paint Your Chickens, episode three, Executive Suite, episode 21, Sisterly Love, episode 22, The Visiting Lecture, season six, episode 10, A Kiss is Still a Kiss is sneaking into the top three. Season eight, episode 10, The Art of the Steel is number two. My favorite uh, Becky performance so far is the season six finale, Backseat Becky Upfront. Mm. Some great scenes in there. I think those 12 episodes really show the the breadth of what Kirstie Alley did with the character. And I'm looking forward to uh, the upcoming episodes. To look at some of the tributes that came in, uh, obviously Ted Danson said she had the ability to play a woman on the verge of a nervous breakdown and was both moving and hysterically funny. And I think when you look at Backseat Betty up front and those scenes in the limo where she's breaking down crying as she's driving the limo, you know, you certainly get both sides of that. And then also you mentioned visiting lecture with John McMartin and Joanne Barnes and that last scene where Kirstie Alley really gets to sort of play with the the scene and like really have fun with the script where she gets to really sort of explode at the end of the episodes after so much has built up. And it's moments like that, which you sort of look at and you, there's such hilarity in there that that's coming from her. Yeah, no, it's very true. I'm looking forward to the episodes we've yet to discuss. We've recorded, as we said near the start, we record things in advance and we've recorded more episodes in season eight, most of season eight already. Just need to edit them and air them. There's some episodes coming up in season eight, which are truly great performances in terms of the Rebecca arc, but we'll leave them off our our list for now. We'll probably get to them in the, the, as is tradition, season eight review. Well, I tell you what, James, uh when I think about how Kirstie Alley is going to be remembered, I think as a very generous sort of comedic actor, an individual, and, you know, they, they say a good comedian can tell a joke, a better one knows when someone else can tell that joke for better effect. And you look at things like a Saturday Night Live hosting uh, when uh, she comes out and says, oh, I've been, I'm missing my family at Cheers, starts doing her sort of, uh, you know, the the tears which we're all familiar with from the sitcom as she sings the song and then you sort of get that that family come together as Woody Harrelson steps up, George Went appears from behind the band, Ted Danson's in the wings and Kelsey Grammer comes in as well. She allows them to take over the scene because she can play off that. But what I find great about that scene as well is they're all talking about their times hosting Saturday Night Live and Kelsey Grammer's there going, I've never hosted it, I've never... And <laughs> She is generous and and knows what the the joke is there, which is for them to all leave and Kelsey Grammer to get his moment. When you kind of look and say the best comedians know when the scene needs someone else to say that line, and you see that and you see how, how generous she was to her castmates, even when she wasn't on the set of Cheers, she still brought them in because she knew she wanted to share that moment with them. Yeah, and because Cheers was as as popular as it was, uh, she gave the people what they wanted. You know? I think as well, um, at the Emmys, there's her and Ted Danson had a running joke as well about uh, Ted Danson waiting so long to get an Emmy. I think nine <laughs> nominations. And again, yeah. being able to, to play that off uh, almost as a long form joke to when, mm-hmm. when she got her Emmy quite quickly and say the first line, I only thank God I didn't have to wait as long as Ted. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I think when you think of how she'll be remembered, I think it's going to be for that sort of brazen attitude to how to deliver comedy. And yes. And know a situation, how to play that situation. Yeah. With a, a confidence to underplay yourself as well. I think that's true. She was definitely steadfast in what she wanted to do in, in her career and, and, her, and her roles. And, and she is known for that mindset. Uh, she was willing to demonstrate her flaws through her character work and the roles that she played and use them to address uh, issues in the industry. You know, she was known to have a, a large menagerie. You know, she was an animal lover. She adopted a lot of uh, animals from across the United States. Mother, grandmother, guardian, as she often looked after Rhea Pullman's kids when say her and Danny were filming something. A friend to a lot of the a lot of the Cheers cast and a lot of people that she's worked with before and since. And I think a a TV icon, both in terms of appearance, in you know, these guest roles she's done with, she's instantly uh, recognizable. Even in the time that has passed since Cheers, she still retains recognizability. Also her unabashed spirit. She has certainly become iconic for things like Saturday Night Live, things like uh, the Emmys. She had a personality that the TV and film industry knew her for. Mm, 100%. I think a nice way to finish, James, with this is if we uh, raise a toast. But I think a, a lovely way to play this out might be with Kirsty Eye's own words from her acceptance speech for her Emmy. I don't have anything clever to say because for so many years I've sat there having clever things to say and... Then they come back from the dry cleaners and they're wrinkled and I'm embarrassed because they read my speech of the dry cleaners to everybody. And <laughs> <laughs> but I do want to thank Jimmy and Glenn and Lass and the wonderful writers. I'm usually not sincere. This is a big moment. Uh, <laughs> and all the actors I get to work with and my best friend, Raya, and um, the crew and, you know, everybody. And, um, and I wanted to thank my husband, and I didn't want to thank him like, you know, I really love him and everything. So I'd like to thank my husband, Parker, the man who has given me the big one for the last eight years. <laughs> it's nice to have people like that in your life. It's like the song, making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get a